You're listening to Rockland Community Church, connecting all generations to Jesus. Luke chapter 9, verses 10 through 17. On their return, the apostles told him all that they had done. And he took them and withdrew apart to a town called Bethsaida. When the crowds learned it, they followed him, and he welcomed them and spoke to them of the kingdom of God and cured those who had need of healing. Now the day began to wear away, and the twelve came to him and said, Send the crowd away to go to the surrounding villages and countryside to find lodging and to get provisions, for we are here in a desolate place. But he said to them, You give them something to eat. They said, We have no more than five loaves and two fish, unless we are to go and buy food for all these people. For there were about 5,000 men. And he said to his disciples, Have them sit down in groups of about 50 each. And they did so, and he and had them all sit down. And taking the five loaves and two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing over them. Then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the crowd. They all ate and were satisfied. And what was left over was picked up, 12 baskets of broken pieces. The word of God. Well, probably, you, you, you heard that read. Probably, um, when, I, when I ask the question to people, how are you, the most common response I get is, uh, is tired, busy, like we just have a culture of busyness and getting tired and getting this fatigue. And um, sometimes we wear it like a badge of honor, like I'm, I'm busy. That must mean I'm, I'm quite important instead of I'm a fool for letting my schedule get you know, away from me. It's I'm tired. And I, I'm even thinking today to go, man, as a Christian, it takes more effort to be a Christian in the world in which we live today. It takes more effort to to just naturally live my Christian life, to try and say, how do I extend grace to the world when my grace tank just feels sort of empty? How do I extend love to the world when um, sometimes it's not that lovable? They're not receiving of it. How do I be compassionate when my, my compassion tank, love tank, grace tank, like it's just on E right now. And so how do we operate if we're already tired and then to say to live as a Christian, now we're trying to be incarnational and live in the way that Christ would have us live in the world. And sometimes we go, man, I'm on empty. I, I don't know that I have more grace. I don't know that I have more compassion. I'm just, I'm just sort of fed up. And what do we do and how do we remedy that? And that's why I love what you just heard read, the feeding of the 5,000, because it teaches a very simple, timeless truth that I'll show you. We'll unpack this a little bit here together. And it's quite simply this. God always provides plenty to accomplish his purposes. God always provides plenty to accomplish his purposes. I'll show you in the story where we get that. This is one that of maybe of all the stories that you'll hear is one that is easiest to fast forward to the end of because you heard it read. And then, and then we know that you, you know, the little boy comes up with bread in John's gospel. It's a little boy comes up with bread. And, uh, and then we know Jesus multiplies it and gives it to people. And we, like, we, we know the punchline. But I, lo- I want to tell this story. And I love, in, in I'm, as I'm studying this, to think about, so what if I'm there? 
What if I don't know the punchline? What if I'm just as confused as the disciples were? We'll see in just a minute. And there's a bunch of hungry people out here and all we have is Jesus and we just have a little bit of food. What is Jesus going to do? That's where I'd love for you to be this morning, to just be there sitting on the, on the grass. It said it was springtime and the Passover was upon them. So it's springtime, sitting down on the grass, listening to Jesus speak, starting to get these hunger pains and um, um, you get to hear the master himself teaching. We can actually get a lot from this story uh, and know a lot about it because it's the only miracle of Jesus besides the resurrection that appears in all four of the Gospels. The only miracle of Jesus besides the resurrection that appears in all four of the Gospels. And so we'll see Luke's account of it today, but also you've got Matthew's account, you've got Mark's account, you've got John's account, and they all synchronize perfectly, but there's details in other ones that give us some, um, some more flavor, I guess, to the story to really bring it to life. And so if you remember where we've been, um, the context in the story is Jesus has just done four miraculous things. He started out, he told the wind and the waves to stop. Then he cast out the demons from the man. Then there was the woman who was sick and bleeding and he healed her. And then there was a little girl that had died and he brought her back from the dead. So you've got power over the natural world, power over the supernatural world, power over sickness, power over death. And then finally he says, all right, now you guys go do this. I have authority, I have power. I'm sending you disciples out into the world. They go out into the world to preach the kingdom and to heal. He is saying, I have power and authority. I give it to you to go and do that. You don't have anything. You've got my kingdom message to take to the world. And so they do. And there's rumblings. And Herod doesn't really like it, especially because they're talking about a kingdom. And he's like, we're the kingdom of, we got our own little kingdom here in Rome and that's a threat to us. And so if you remember, um, there, there's this little interlude in the story where the storm clouds are gathering and Herod's advisors come to him and they say, maybe Elijah has appeared. Maybe John the Baptist has been brought back from the dead. Has one of the prophets of old risen in Mark's gospel, it says he's a really powerful prophet, like one of those prophets of old. They're saying this Jesus guy and what he's doing, it's, it's the highest compliment I could pay is to take one of these Old Testament super religious people that did these um, miracles on behalf of God. Maybe that's what he's like. And now, after all that, now they're on furlough. Now they've been out and they've been preaching and healing. And now they come back, and you heard it read, they come back to catch their breath, which is a really, really good thing. Let me just say, missionaries do this all the time. Um, pastors go on sabbatical, but I, I have this feeling like, I mean, there's people ministering all day, every day, and it can be exhausting. And we'll see throughout, especially Luke's gospel, that they keep retiring. They, they pull back to pray, to pray, to pray, to recover. This is a very, very good thing to do. Work, rest work, rest. They need it because they've been casting out demons, preaching all day in a non-Christian culture is going to be hard. There's rising hostility towards the message they're bringing at the highest levels of the culture. That should sound familiar. And this should be comforting as we see what Christ did. So what they did, it says, on their return, the apostles told him, told Jesus, this is verse 10, all that they had done. They're sharing stories of casting out demons and healing and preaching. And he took them, and it says, and withdrew apart to a town called Bethsaida. That's on the northeast corner of the Sea of Galilee. And they're trying to practice working and resting and working and resting. Now, the problem is, word is spreading. And so what happens in verse 11, it says, when the crowds learned it, they followed him. 
And what did he do? He was going to rest, but instead he welcomed them. And he did the very same thing that they'd been doing. Spoke to them of the kingdom of God and cured those who were in need of healing. That's exactly what the disciples had been doing. And they go, we need a break from this. And they go to rest. And then they go, oh, there's a bunch of people. We should preach the kingdom of God and we should heal. And you go, you're not very good at resting then. You need to rest. Why in the world, after doing all that, after going and preaching and proclaiming in a, in a culture that was hostile, and then going to rest, and then people come with needs, why in the world would they not just go, I'm busy right now? The other gospels actually tell us. Matthew's gospel says that Jesus looked at him and had compassion on him. Mark gives a more specific reason, and he says that he looked at them and saw that they were like sheep without a shepherd. Now, sheep and shepherd is an interesting um, word picture to constantly be using because you see it throughout the Bible. Sheep are like, um, they're, they're dirty, they're gross, they're dumb. And then shepherds, like the marvel of the, of the Christmas story is the angel goes and appears to the shepherd. They're like the outcast of society. And so we're like, oh, good. But Jesus talks all the time about shepherds and sheep. And so I'm like, and he's the great shepherd and we're the sheep. And so you can kind of go, thanks, Jesus. Maybe you can come up with something better than just sheep. Like it doesn't quite make sense in our terminology, but it, it's actually a term. It's not meant to just press the analogy so far, but it's just simply to say, what would they have understood when, they, when it was shepherd and sheep? So in the Old Testament, there's actually a reference to this where Moses, if you remember, got punished. He was not gonna be able to go in the promised land. And God brings him up on a mountain and says, there's the promised land. This is kind of teasing him, I feel like. There's the promised land. You're not going to be able to get to go into it, Moses. And so Moses spoke to the Lord. It says in Numbers 27, saying, let the Lord, the God of the spirits of all flesh, appoint a man over the congregation who shall go out before them and come in before them and shall lead them out and bring them in that the congregation of the Lord, the Israelites wandering in the wilderness, may not be as a sheep that have no shepherd. They need someone to guide them. This is a term of compassion. And that's really as far as we're supposed to press the analogy. In the New Testament, you see this. Elders and pastors are called to shepherd, and we talk about sheep, and we talk about a flock, and we use those terms, and they're only meant in the term of compassion and love and care. I have actually seen a shepherd and sheep in real life, and it was amazing. I was in Romania and uh, with our ministry here, so five or so years ago, and I, that was at the time I thought I didn't need to worry about the, the time change effect on me because I'm such a superhuman that I figured I wouldn't be tired, even though it was like seven hours off. And so I went to Romania for like four days like this the entire time, and then my body started kicking in, and then I got back to America, and then I was like this for a week once I got back here. It didn't work out well. But I remember one, it was a, still a great trip. I remember I'm driving, and it was this hilly little, hill, this little hillside of Romania, I think we were in Cluj, in Romania, and um, we're coming to a hill, and I'm, I'm doing this, like, fall, like really falling asleep, and over a hill, kind of in the distance, I just see somebody's hand sticking up with a big stick sticking out of it, and I'm, I'm falling asleep, and the driver, and I just wanted to make sure he saw it, and he, and he did, and so he stopped, and it was a shepherd, and there were sheep bounding across the highway, which was odd when you're really tired and then you're literally like counting sheep <laughs> as they're going across the thing. And I was like, what is going on? 
And I looked and I see these sheep going across and the shepherd had been standing there with his, uh, holding the staff up in the air. So when you came over a hill, you'd be able to see him. And I looked and there was somebody else on the other side that was doing the exact same thing while the sheep were crossing over. And I thought, there's a great picture of what a shepherd is supposed to be. When you look at what Moses wanted for his people, when you look at what God calls pastors, elders uh, in the New Testament to be for the people of God, it's someone that will stand there in front and protect. Someone that will stand between you and a car. Someone that will stand between you and the enemy that will teach you and train you and equip you to stand in those times. That's the job of a shepherd. And so when, when anytime you hear shepherd and sheep, it's not a, a hierarchy thing. It's not a, a downplaying thing, anything like that. It is God has called people in his providence to be in our lives, to stand there like this with the shepherd's staff and say, I'll let the car hit me before it hits anybody else. It's an act of love. It's an act of compassion. And that's what he's saying here. And then it says in verse 12, now the day began to wear away. Matthew's gospel says the day was almost over. So this is late in the day. It's evening. It's hot. It's dinner time. In our house, we say we're getting hangry probably about this time because you're hot and you're hungry at the same time. And it says, the 12 came and said to him, send the crowd away to go into the surrounding villages and countryside and look at the two things, to find lodging and get provisions. That's food. It's the word, it's like the word for wheat. It's the word, it's, uh, they need food. So send them into the villages. I think what's happening is, um, is the disciples are probably going, can we have all these people be somebody else's problem? Because they'd be looking at all these people that are there. And Luke's gospel is the only one that says they need lodging. Why would they need lodging? Just go to their own homes. Well, the the answer is some of them have traveled a really, really long way to be there and to be with Jesus. So there's all these people that don't live there. They're hungry. They need a place to stay for the night. And the disciples go, why don't we send all these thousands of people to one of the little villages around here and let them deal with it. This is a huge crowd that is there, and the towns in the area probably could only had about 3,000 people in them um, at this time. And think about what's just happened now. Jesus is about to do something amazing. He'd sent them out before and said, you go, you don't take a backpack, you don't take a tunic, you don't take a staff, you don't take a bread, you don't, bread, you don't take water, you don't take anything I'm gonna provide. And now all the people are here and Jesus is about to go, watch me provide. That's what this story is about. Now look at this, verse 13. He has to teach them a little bit first. But he said to them, you give them something to eat. Well, there's thousands of them, Jesus. Where do you think we're hiding all our food that we have? You give them something to eat. And they said, we have no more than five loaves and two fish. No more than is like a statement of just incredulity. It's, are you kidding me? All all we have are five loaves and two fish. Unless we're to go and buy food for all these people. They're basically going, see, Jesus, we don't have enough food. And you want us to go buy food for all these people? Because it says there were about 5,000 men. Now, here's what that means. We call this the feeding of the 5,000, and it was most certainly not 5,000 people. In fact, Matthew's gospel explicitly says there were 5,000 men, and that's not including the women and children that were there as well. Because they're counting, it's, it's kind of like counting by households is how they would do it in that day. So I'd look at this and say, you've got 5,000. Let's suppose they're married. That's instantly 10,000 people. And then if they have any kids, if they have one kid, okay, you're up to 15,000 people. I, 
I think this is too high, but most commentators that have studied this would put the number closer to 20,000 people that are there. I'm going to just say about 10 to 15, something like that. And so Jesus says, you give them something to eat. And they go, okay, well, let's do this. Let's run into town and get provisions for 15,000 people. There's 12 of us, 13, if you'll give us a hand, Jesus. And we're going to go into this little town and go, hey, real quick, can you get food for 15,000 people that are hungry out here? And they're like, we can't do that, Jesus. So what else would they do? Well, the food accountants start to take inventory and they go five loaves and two fish. There's no possible way you're going to feed that many people with just this little amount. Of course, we know what Jesus did, but let's pause for a minute. Don't be too hard on the apostles. When you think about now, as you're starting to get the scope of the crowd and you go, they had five loaves of bread and two fish. Let me put it in perspective. My numbers are off too, by the way, so it's even more than what I'm about to show you. I, I, tried to, I tried to look up how big of a piece of bread are we actually talking about in the ancient world. It's very hard to figure it out. I assumed it was one of those that you always see sticking out of like a, you know, when someone's in France because the Eiffel Tower's right there. Like in a movie, the huge pieces of bread. I'd, let's just pretend it's a huge, huge, huge loaf of bread. And let's look, and let's take a lower number than most scholars. Let's look at like 10,000 or so people. And if we, if we could compare the number of people to just the bread that he had and get that proportion, here's what I did. I said, how many people are going to be here in this room this morning? And if I were to bring a proportional amount of bread, how much bread would that be? Got it? All right. So just to set the scene, this would be like if you came in and someone came up and said, oh, Jim, we need some food. Do you have any food? And I said, give me what you have. And you gave it to me and said, this is ridiculous. It's obviously not enough. And I said, that'll be plenty. How much bread is that? It is approximately this much. To feed this entire room. Let's not be too hard on the twelve for looking at Jesus and going, what do you expect us to do, Jesus? This is all we have. Can you imagine? Take, just take a little bite and pass it around. And you heard John read it too a minute ago. You heard him read it. He said that everybody was satisfied and there's all this left over as well. So he said to the disciples, have them sit in groups of about 50 each and look at what they did. They did so and had them all sit down. They had this much. And Jesus said, go put them in groups. And you see what the disciples did? They obeyed. I think one of the most important things to just pause and reflect on for a moment is to, is to be very clear that their obedience preceded their understanding. Their obedience preceded their understanding of how in the world Jesus was going to take this and make it go out to everybody. What was Jesus going to do? They didn't know how, but they knew the what. Jesus said, tell them to go sit. Tell them to go get in groups. And so they went, okay. And so they did. Today, when, when we're coming up against obeying God and then wondering why he's actually calling us to do that, usually the American Western 2022 mindset is, I need to understand before I will obey. 
That's one way to do it is just to go, well, I see what Jesus is clearly saying. I see what the Bible clearly teaches. I clearly know God's will for my life, but I don't understand the why. Or I think that might be too great of a sacrifice, and so I need a better sales pitch before I actually walk in obedience. And what are they doing? They just say, I'll obey. When we do it, when we do it the other way, it, it almost starts from a point of like, well, God might be right, I might be right. We'll just have to kind of you know, work this through a little bit instead of God speaks and I do. This is, uh, I, I've shared before about when I got, I got baptized. I got baptized as a baby in a Methodist church. Then uh, my wife grew up at a big Baptist church. And so we joined, and we joined a Baptist church at some point in our lives. We had just gotten married and I was gonna have to get immersed as a believer. And that was a new thing for me, however long ago that was. And I remember having all my reasons I wasn't going to, and I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna fight the new pastor as I'm joining the church, really nice. And, um, <clears throat> and then finally, I just went, I don't know, but I, I'm, I'm saying I'm here, uh, this is my church, this is what the pastor's saying, I'll do it, even though I don't know if I fully get the why. I'll just do it. And I did it. And I got baptized. And when I got baptized, I remember going, oh, that makes sense. It wasn't like magical, like doves didn't fly down on me or anything like that as I was doing it. It was just, we did it. And then all of a sudden I went, I went, I feel like I belong. I don't have this wondering, should I do something? Like it was the, it was the most freeing thing to just go, I don't know, I'm just gonna do it. And then I'll figure out the why after the fact. Or we talk to people all the time about joining a church and you go, why would you, why do I need to join? I'm here, I'm doing all the things. And usually my advice is um, do it. And then when you say, I'm joining, and you're saying, I'm locking arms, and we point you out, and then people come up and talk to you, there's something that can just click in you that says that this is my home, this is my church. And so rather than go, okay, let me, let me work through all that and figure that out, I say, just do it. Just do it, and trust me. And most people, most people do. And most people, well, after I say that to them, I've had several people go, oh, yeah, that made sense. Took a little while. It wasn't like magic, but it happened. Our obedience sometimes will have to precede our understanding of the why. That's what the disciples are doing here as well. Look at this, verse 16. Taking the five loaves and the two fish, which would be even smaller than this, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing over them. So he, this is a, a blessing before the meal, so to speak. <clears throat> and then he broke the loaves and gave it to the disciples and set it before the crowd. Listen to how much there was. They all ate and were satisfied. And what was left over was picked up. Not, not crumbs that they were just kind of cleaning up after themselves, but they didn't want to waste all these other loaves and fish that they had laying around. And so they picked up 12 baskets of broken pieces. God provided plenty to accomplish his purposes. It multiplied, and we know that because there's 12 baskets. We're not sure on the baskets, but the specific word for basket here, um, there's another reference to it in a historian, Josephus, and it's the military, like people in the army would go and they would have these huge baskets and they would pick up rocks and move basket filled with rocks so then they could walk across easier or reposition them or something like that. So, and they, and um, one account says that these baskets held about 20 rocks. Like these are big baskets is what I'm saying. So he went from this, thousands and thousands of people full, and then it'd be like if I were to go, and then if you guys could give me a hand, grab the huge basket that we passed out on the way in and start grabbing the loaves that are left over and grab the fish that's left over. They're filling it up. That's the scene 
of what's happening here. Imagine going from this to baskets full of leftovers. Jesus looked out with compassion and the disciples said, I don't know how this is going to happen. And what they need to know is what we need to know today as well, that God always provides plenty to accomplish his purposes. These are people that he had compassion on and he wanted to give them a shepherd. He wanted them to know the kingdom message. And so he had to provide the kingdom and then he had to provide the message. He had to provide the men to go out and to share the message. It's all from him. He is providing it. The disciples had no real power to heal, but Jesus gave it to them to accomplish his purposes. They have a comical amount of food to feed the amount of people that Jesus provided richly. And you have to think about the context here to think he goes to the disciples, the 12, or the, the disciples, apostles, and 12 are used interchangeably at this point in Jesus's ministry. He's taking this group that he has sent out, and you got to think that they're sitting here going, we're supposed to take this message out to all those people. And we're just, just a handful of us, Jesus. How's this going to work? And so this feeding of the thousands is a picture of that. Because we can often think very rationally about some, gosh, lots of people, lots of people, and not many of us. Who is the provider in this instance? And it is Jesus Christ himself. All right, hang with me for just a minute. When we think about um, the disciples going, how do we take this message out? How is Jesus able to do this? Jesus himself is the provider. Now, let me show you this. Um, Remember the context here. Herod's advisors had come to him and just said, um, Elijah had appeared. John the Baptist was raised from the dead. One of the prophets of old is risen. Uh, Mark says he's a real powerful prophet, like one of the prophets of old. Um, John's gospel, the people, as they're taking it, they go, wow, this must be a prophet that has come into the world. And what Jesus is about to do is he is about to say, I am better than anybody else you can possibly imagine. I am better than those prophets. Listen to this. Hang with me here. In um, the parallel accounts in the Old Testament where there were uh, miracles that happened with food. In Exodus 16, Moses, wandering in the wilderness, and what do they need? They need food. They're in the wilderness. They have none. And then God provides Um, It says, whoever gathered much had nothing left over. Remember, it rained down from heaven. Whoever gathered little had no lack. Each of them gathered as much as he could eat. And God would provide just enough for their day. And if there were any leftovers, it said the sun just uh, melted them. And so everybody had the exact amount. That's Moses. Elijah, if you remember um, the widow of Zarephath, I don't know. The widow of Zarephath is in the Old Testament, um, that old chestnut, that he predicted a drought, and then he's walking out one day, and he sees this widow and her uh, little boy, and, um, and he asks, he says, can you give me bread and water? This is the quintessential prophet of the Old Testament. And she said, this is in 1 Kings 17, as the Lord your God lives, I have nothing baked, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little oil in a jug, and now I am gathering a couple of sticks listen to this, that I may go in and prepare it for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. 
That's how desperate she is. And Elijah said, do not fear, go and do as you have said. But first, make me a little cake of it and bring it to me. And afterward, make yourself something, uh, make, afterwards, make something for yourself and your son. For thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, the jar of flour shall not be spent and the jug of oil shall not be empty until the day that the Lord sends rain upon the earth. In other words, you think you're going to die, but God is going to provide just enough every day to get you through to this time. There's another instance with Elisha where someone comes to him and there's all these, all these men there and he, he says, lay the food before them. He says, this is not enough for them. And he lays it before them and it says they eat their fill. What is it in the Old Testament? There is just enough provision. That's what the prophets can provide. That's what Moses can provide. The law and the prophets. What does Christ provide? Plenty. More than you can imagine. So much that he needs help picking up all the leftovers. He goes, let's go from this to make sure everybody's filled and I'm gonna need your help picking this stuff up. What he is trying to say is that somebody greater than the law and the prophets, greater than the Old Testament is here. He is not just a prophet. He is not just Moses. He is the final Moses. He is better than Moses. He's better than Elijah. This is Jesus Christ who can provide. That's what he's trying to say. That is the source that we go to and our exhaustion of living as a Christian in this life. And Christ is able to provide it, this inexhaustible supply. Remember how this started, the whole message from the whole world to the whole world, from just a small group. And God always provides plenty to accomplish his purposes. I should say it's for his purposes, so I can't promise you today if you go, I really want a job, and I need a higher paying job, and I want to stay in my house, and I want this kind of car, and I want this and this and this and this. It, that may or may not be the, God, the purposes of God. I'm not going to promise you that today. But I will say what we see throughout the scriptures consistently is this, and this is, I'll apply this to today. Where do we get grace when we feel like we don't have any grace? The source of inexhaustible grace, the Lord Jesus Christ. Where do we get patience when we have another conversation? Someone gives an argument that makes absolutely no logical sense, but we need to give more patience to them to engage with them and to demonstrate we love them from Jesus Christ. Where do we get kindness to go on and to be incarnational in the world from Jesus Christ, from the infinite supply? And our obedience precedes our understanding. If you think that you can't be a part of this kingdom proclamation in the world we live in right now, you need to know that God always provides plenty to accomplish his purposes. Yes, you can. For the person that you're praying for that hasn't moved an inch, and honestly, you're just tired of praying and maybe just written them off. Go back to Christ and you'll find more and more compassion from him that will overflow and you'll be able to keep praying. God always provides plenty to accomplish his purposes, or the person that you're trying to be really sweet with, share your faith with, help them out, and they just keep rebuking you and keep shunning you. Keep going. God always provides plenty to accomplish his purposes. I see the compassion of God on individuals. I picture perhaps a single mother who has no, feels like she has no energy left to fulfill her calling as a mother. God always provides plenty to accomplish his purposes. Or the spouse that just says, I'm done. I don't have any more energy or effort to expend. God always provides plenty to accomplish his purposes. The person that may think it would just be easier to not be alive anymore. 
God always provides plenty to accomplish his purposes and his care for you. Please believe that. We never judge our problems in light of our resources. Never judge our problems in light of the perceptions of how this is going to go. You know, a good example of this, I can't pastor a church. I know me. I can't do this, but God can. And so constantly going to him. I, my father figure is not a good example. I can't, I can't be a dad. He's not a good example of a husband. I can't be a husband. Well, luckily, God always provides plenty to accomplish his purposes. When we're exhausted, check your source. Do, do we keep looking inward or are we saying, I'm going to go to the inexhaustible source of Jesus Christ? And you know, they may not have realized this at the time. Now, after the fact, we can look and something should come to mind as we see Jesus taking bread and breaking it and giving thanks. They wouldn't have probably understood that, but we can, we can look and we can go, wow, think about what Jesus is doing is perhaps even a foreshadowing of what is about to happen, that he is gonna have the night with his disciples where he'll take bread and he will break it and say, this is my body given for you. This is my blood of the new covenant poured out for you for the forgiveness of sins. He is the inexhaustible source of grace that we can extend to others and grace for us today. As we take communion together today, would you remember our source the Lord Jesus Christ and his goodness.